Bind up the testimony, seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait for the Lord who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, consult the mediums and the spiritists who whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, it is because they have no dawn. They will pass through the land hard-pressed and famished, and it will turn out that when they are hungry, they will be enraged and curse their king and their God as they face upward. Then they will look to the earth and behold distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be driven away into darkness. Welcome, everyone. This is A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Willie Grills here with Zelwyn Heidi. Joining us today, the Reverend Adam Kuntz. Gentlemen, how are you? Doing great. How are you? Good. How's the weather in Fort Wayne? Well, you may be surprised to learn it's cloudy. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's about all. I mean, otherwise, it's nice. the The trees are beautiful right now. Well, that's good to hear, Zelwyn. Um, how is first winter? Yeah, I was say you may be surprised to learn that it's cold, <laughs> <laughs> but things are like you say it's it's pretty nice up here right now. Kind of on the warmish end of things, but definitely moving down into the depths of winter. So here we are. Extra windy out here in Illinois right now. My fodder shocks have all blown away. And, you know, you'll have that. Zelwyn is actually from an obscure Eurasian tribe uh, inhabiting um, uh, some of the eastern provinces of Russia. So that's just, you know, food for thought for the audience. He, he, he occasionally crosses the land bridge to trade with the Inuits. Right. This, this recording is actually coming to you via dog sled. So. And he still has better internet than both of us. Among the things that we'll be discussing today include his worship of bears. It's an ancestral <laughs> custom. Uh, it's going to be a fun one today. It's going to be fun. <laughs> the only word fitly member to ever carve a totem pole and use it. Right. Yeah, totally unironically. So, yeah. <laughs> he didn't buy it on a vacation to the Southwest or anything. Yeah. He is fresh off a bear sacrifice ritual, which happens only once a year. So. He fries everything in their tallow. Right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, these are these are little known facts from what is quickly becoming a favorite Lutheran podcast of many. You just need to be warned that bear sacrifice will be involved. So <laughs> this is all part of the new Word Fitly trivia game we're going to crowdfund. Right. <laughs> oh, well, man. all right, gentlemen. Um, other than bear worship, we are going to talk about a lot of fun things uh, today. Tis the season to talk about spooky things and even spoopy things here referring to the prussian union custom of reformation day sir <laughs> correct okay, okay. i just wanted to be would, clear all the kids would put on their costumes and dress up like the princes and go around with their little pails and receive <laughs> the german charity that was that they're so well known for <laughs> dress, dress up like frederick the great and move in the great <laughs> line that sort of thing somewhere in some missouri Senate at home that's happening on halloween <laughs> 
Well, that's ac- that's actually true. The, I mean, one of the iron the, the irony of Reformation Day is that it's it's the one Prussian Union thing that all the Lutherans are still kind of into. <laughs> so, what are you going to do? You know, this is the way right. it goes. Yeah, his life. All right, folks. So we have an interesting subject or subjects coming up. Um, we're going to call this a discussion of the paranormal. But we're really going to talk about three specific things, more or less. We don't really know yet. We'll see where the discussion goes. But particularly focusing on ghosts, witches, and the demonic. So why a, why a discussion on Christians and the paranormal? Whoever wants to take that question. This is stuff that people kind of think about anyway. And the Bible talks about and is for all of life. So we shouldn't be surprised when we find the Bible actually speaking clearly on things that usually get relegated to the nether corners of TLC or YouTube. The Bible actually has something to say about what we now categorize broadly as the paranormal. Yeah, and that's that's important to consider too because, you know, if if the Bible is taking these things seriously, we don't want to think of it with our big brains and just say, "Oh, well, you know, we don't need to worry about it." I right. mean, these are things that whatever however they might be, they might appear, they are things that we do need to consider. And you know, I think that this goes toward one of the myths about modern western man is that he's so secularized and uninterested in spiritual things. The fact is, he's just uninterested in Christianity, but there's always a curiosity about the spiritual world and the paranormal. It comes and goes in cycles. You know, we're, we're all a bit modernist. That's true in this day and age in the West. However, if you look at the rise of spiritism and spiritualism in the 19th century, there's a huge popular interest in the supernatural. Uh, once you move on into the 30s and 40s, you start to see kind of a resurgence, even in Europe, with regard to paranormal and the occult. The 60s in the United States and the 70s, largely thanks in part to popular culture. You move a little closer to our day and age where, you know, 10 or 15 years ago, you had the the ghost hunter shows that were popular. And the first very popular one, I guess, was just called Ghost Hunters. And then now it's gone into several spinoffs and there's ripoff shows and similar shows that millions of people are watching uh, who still, you know, watch regular TV. As you mentioned before, YouTube, there's myriad YouTube videos involving this. They all have tons of views. So there absolutely is an interest in the paranormal and in the spiritual. And so for the Christian, then, we have to learn how to approach this, how to um, engage the subject, and possibly how to answer objections from from certain people. So do you want to dive in then to like specific instances about ghosts, or how, how do you want to tackle this then, Willie? Oh, I don't know. Uh, no, seriously. Uh, we, could, yeah, we'll see where it goes. I mean, the first thing we're going that we have, you know, to talk about would be, I guess, ghosts. Everything we're going to talk about is somewhat related. We're going to end on demons for a reason. Spoiler alert. Uh, but yeah, sure. Let's go ahead and talk about ghosts. I really wanted to talk about Wendigos and Sasquatches, but let's do ghosts. <laughs> Well, Wendigos and Sasquatches are kind of culturally, geographically specific, but but ghosts really are not. It's hard to find a human culture or anything that we would call a religion that doesn't have some account for ghosts. You know, it's it's an entire category of being in Buddhism, but you also find them in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and at least the mention of them in the New Testament. 
Right. And it's kind of tricky to get a, a working definition of a ghost because that's where the debate is. But from just a purely popular understanding, what would a ghost be? Yeah, it's going to be an immaterial spirit. Pretty much always in Western culture, it's an immaterial spirit. Um, so it's not a hungry ghost like in Eastern cultures. And it resembles a person to a sufficient extent that it can be recognized as that person. It usually has some kind of at least tragic, if not also vengeful purpose. Ghosts are not something that you that you want to see, but there's something that's going to appear maybe in a dream, maybe at nighttime. It could merely be a sound from which we get, you know, poltergeist. poltergeist right. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the thing. And and so our basic working definition then is the disembodied spirit of a person is how it tends to be understood. It can also be just its own entity, but it's typically tied, at least in the way it's popularly conceived in the West, as the spirit of a deceased person. And that's the question. Is that a legitimate understanding biblically? And we'll we'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, every culture has their own variation on it. But there's some type of spiritual being that is recognizably human for the most part, or at least right. has anthropomorphic characteristics to one right. degree or another. And here I thought we were going to go into the discussion of Reverend Cain from Poltergeist or something. <laughs> right. So. Well, yeah, God is in His holy temple could be our new theme. Could be our theme for this episode if you want to <laughs> if you want to put that clip in. But uh, Warner Brothers might sue us. Was that paramount? We don't know. Just don't sue me, bro. Exactly. <laughs> well, all right. So let's let's take a look at, then at ghosts in the Bible. Does the Bible have anything at all to say about them, gentlemen? The clearest and most famous example is First Samuel twenty-eight. If the listener has a Bible, you might want to go there now. There's an episode with a necromancer which is someone who is consulting the dead. There are different kinds of, there, there are in fact all kinds of divination in the Old Testament. Consulting the dead is one of those. And the figures who do that are all over the cultures that surround ancient Israel. They're also within ancient Israel, as we're going to see. But consultation of the dead was by no means anything uncommon in the ancient world, whether in Old Testament times or New Testament times. So that, that concept of necromancy, consultation of the dead, is a way that a lot of different people, both inside and outside Israel, are going to try to find out what they should do, what's going to happen. And it's no different in 1 Samuel 28, where Saul, who publicly was against necromancy and, and every manner of divination, all the different kinds that are on the table for pagans in the ancient world. He's publicly against that. He's publicly expunged divination from Israel. But in 1 Samuel 28, he's gone to consult a woman who's now usually known as a the medium of Endor in Bible translations, but famously because of the King James, or as some people call it, God's Bible, fam <laughs> famously is consulting the witch of Endor in 1 Samuel 28. You know, it's sad because it's not been that long ago. You could have said witch of Endor and people would have thought the Bible. And now you say Endor and I think they think of Star Wars. <laughs> There's like Ewoks running around I, here. In I, the can, Bible. I can I can assure you that I personally do not, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, but you have to borrow an Eng a laptop from your English neighbors to record the podcast. I, yeah, right, no. exactly. I do. I mean, I'm I, gramophones <laughs> are forty years in the future for me. So. <laughs> a very interesting account. 
So what what do we make of this? Uh, they go to consult the witch of Endor, and what comes to pass? And crucially, Samuel has died. And the the other the other big thing to know is that not only is Samuel dead, but Saul has a history of being plagued by quote an evil spirit, which is from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right. right, which which David's music had helped him chase away or expel or lift from him. And now he is completely estranged from David. And Samuel, to whom he was accustomed to consulting, is also dead. So what's what's interesting is the Lord's ordained prophet and the Lord's now anointed successor, or rather replacement for Saul, both of them are estranged from Saul. So the connection here is I mean, really, the context, crucially, is Saul's own turn to idolatry. That's really important, I think, to understand in connection with trying to consult the dead. Yeah, and then, but then the question becomes, is this actually Samuel? Okay, because right. There's, there's been much debate because, you know, d- can the dead actually, like, can you actually bring up a soul from Sheol, as uh, Samuel is said to have done here? Is it the witch who has done this? Is it the the witch kind of succeeding despite her actual intentions? You know, God let it happen kind of a thing? Or is this actually a demonic entity impersonating Samuel? I mean, that's kind of the way the debate goes, right? Right, right. Where do you fall on it? Well, the request in 2811 is to bring up Samuel for me. And then Saul is confused at first because the woman, the witch... Is ter- is obviously terrified, right? And then in twenty eight fourteen, you get an explicit statement. Saul knew that it was Samuel, and he bowed with his face to the ground and did homage. And then you just get a report of Samuel said to Saul, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The arguments against this actually being Samuel usually come down to the story is being reported from Saul's perspective. And therefore, the the idea that it actually is somehow Samuel is not in and of itself necessarily the case, because this is this is just being reported as what Saul sees. I, I don't actually think that's true, simply because that's generally not the way the narrator in either Samuel or Kings talks. He doesn't really adopt a persona for a time. It's always an omniscient persona. Hmm. Something else to consider here, too, though, would be the words of Samuel to Saul, at least as far as I can tell, appear to come true. There's not actually deception going on. That's right. And Andrew Steinman makes a pretty thorough argument in his commentary on 1 Samuel in the Concordia Commentary series, those big blue books many of the listeners will know. And he argues that it's actually a deception at most, Okay, that that it's, it's not actually Samuel. And he says, oh, well, well, this stuff doesn't come true, but he's, I think he's pressing the words too far when he does that. In its general outlines, what the spirit, whatever it is, says does come true. There is destruction at the hands of the Philistines. I think part of the discomfort people have with this being Samuel is they don't believe that the dead can communicate with the living in any way. Right. And I don't think that that biblically is true. You do have like, the, you know, they take it from things like David saying, you know, he can't like with, with his dead son, he can't come back to me, but I can go to him. Right. It's given, you know, we get this idea that those in heaven 
it's kind of a pop culture notion that isn't true that those in heaven are totally unaware of things going on here. Now, it's wrong to conjure the dead, and yet we do have at least one example in the New Testament of men who have died, at least in some way communicating with men on earth, and that would be the transfiguration. Right. Now, that is that is very different you know, between 1 Samuel and the transfiguration, but you still have Elijah and Moses, who are men who have died, well, you know, translated right. in one case, yeah. who, are, who are still able to appear. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're, to- you're totally right. I think, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that the dead are gone off into some kind of silence or unconsciousness or something, and therefore are not even available for communication, by which you can see that, you know, those who live, live to the Lord, and he's not, in fact, the God of the dead, as if they were somehow silent, but they are alive in him. The issue in 1 Samuel 28, to me, is not really, is this Samuel, based on, I think that the narrator relates things straightforwardly and omnisciently from a, so to speak, a God's eye view perspective. I think the issue is actually, why is this happening? And I think the reason that it's happening is because like so much else that has happened in Saul's life, Samuel is sent to him. We're not, we're not saying that necromancy is good. We're saying that the Lord is sending Samuel to Saul, the spirit of Samuel to Saul, as a punishment to predict the, the final downfall of Saul's dynasty. Yeah, this could just as easily be another example of God using evil for good or using evil for his purposes. Right. And, and you know, it's kind of trolling the witch in, in a certain way. Well, maybe maybe the question to ask here then is maybe the reason another reason why this can be difficult for us to hear is do we think that what the witch is doing is actually happening? Like is she actually accomplishing something here or is this, you know, we know that all magic is fake, therefore this has to be fake too. Well, I think and I think we'll talk in the next segment about the nature of magic because it, it it's certainly the case that in acts people are worried about what magic could accomplish and therefore do something about the capacity to carry out magic. But in this case, the witch is obviously surprised at what occurs. So there is, I think, alongside the real possibility that the reason what the catechism calls satanic arts are forbidden is because they are real and really harmful. In the same sense that drinking poison is real and really harmful when you do it. Right. And it appears there's something very different about the manifestation of Samuel other than what you typically see in accounts of divination and seances and things like that. How about um, the the last couple minutes of this section? How about other examples then? Any, Any New Testament? Well, you have you have the apostles concern that the man they see walking on the water is a ghost. The ghost, right. Which which shows you that it's it's at least a popular belief that there is such a thing. Yeah, that this and it's and it's not impossible. Similarly, when Peter is believed to be dead and appears to Rhoda, who is just kind of, you know, so shocked she forgets to open the door, people believe that it is somehow an apparition of Peter's spirit in some sense. Right. So then what do we make taking the biblical accounts then? understanding what we know from the Bible about the spirit after death, is there room for ghosts and hauntings, or are they merely demonic deceptions? 
because we pr- well we have three options, right? And this will go over to the next segment. It's that it's that they are the actual spirits of the deceased, they are demonic entities, or it's just hallucinations or some kind of trickery. I think it's entirely possible. I do not think that it is merely deception. I I think that when you see something being done among pagans, your first instinct should not be to say, well, it's all fake. Your first instinct should be to say, what are the demons doing through this false religion? And so I I don't think deception is necessarily what's happening. I think it is it, it, it could be real, but it could be really evil in the same sense that the evil spirit sent upon Saul long before 1 Samuel 28, those are, those are not false. Those are, in fact, punishment and terrifying. So I think that when you're, when you're thinking about things like this, the, the move immediately to some kind of rationalistic, well, it's probably actually fake, or a kind of Christian rationalism, well, it's fake, but it's demonic doesn't, to me, make sense of the the real terror that you see people experience. Well, and, well, the demonic perspective would say that they're actually seeing legitimate spiritual activity, but it's not what they perceive it as. It's not their their grandmother or their dead relative or that sort of thing. I think that tries to get too far behind the way that 1 Samuel 28 reports this apparition. But a lot of interest in ghosts, however— comes close to necromancy in this way. Oh, totally. They, I mean, they're, they're trying to communicate with spirits right. or the spirits of oftentimes specific people who have died, sometimes specific relatives, but in general, they're, they're just trying to find and communicate with the dead, which is absolutely forbidden. And certainly at the very least we can agree opens them up to demonic influence. Right. If you look at Isaiah, you get a lot of the same reports of the stuff that is forbidden in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. So the issue, the issue for Isaiah is not, is this stuff real? The question is, is it going to lead you away from the law and the testimony of God? And the answer is absolutely yes. The forbidding of satanic arts is a forbidding of the consultation of anything that would turn you away from the word of God. Right. And we'll get into that more specifically right after the break here on A Word Fitly Spoken. But he said, Yea, rather blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. Hang tight. We'll be right back with more Word Fitly. And we are back. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken, Willie Grill, Zelwyn Heidi, and Adam Kuntz talking about the paranormal. Well, we ended our discussion about ghosts really bumping up against a very related topic, and that is divination 
or witchcraft. So let's go ahead and, and transition over to there because they are related. It seems that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, wherever you find spirits and people seeking to talk to spirits, they always have to go to a sorcerer first. That usually seems to be the mediary here. Right. So guys, uh, who wants to dive in on, on witchery? <laughs> well, I mean, just just right off the bat, I think it's helpful to say that you often have both in the law of Moses and also in Isaiah's descriptions, an obvious class or a couple groups of people who all specialize in forms of divination. They, they form almost a kind of counter priesthood. The lips of the priests should guard knowledge of the law of God. These folks speak in a different way and offer different means of knowing what a person should do or what the past means or what the future will bring. Whereas God's prophets speak clearly, this group of people, whatever they're called, mediums, soothsayers, witches, they speak in in chirps and in mutters in ways that are, I think, ambiguous, but always involve shady stuff. Yeah, it's certainly another religion. It's a racket, but it is convincing enough that people will continue to go back to it. And that's why I think we should avoid the idea that all witchery is simply trickery. Right. It's all deception, but there's a sort of worldly deception and an actual spiritual deception going on. I don't believe that the, that the market would support an industry that completely failed time and time again or that didn't produce some discernible result. Mm-hmm. And so you you have all throughout the ancient world surviving magic texts. We certainly have plenty of them in Greek that we can go back and look at. We have the burning of the magic books and acts to, as well. And so there certainly seems to be some kind of power here going on that should be avoided. It's not for us to look into, but it does certainly seem to be effectual. And that's and I don't say that to tempt anyone into trying it. It's to say that it is seductive for a reason. Now, does it work 85% or is it is it is it better than the farmer's almanac? I don't know. Uh, but nevertheless, it does there does seem to be certain things working here. I think if you if if you think that it's not real, the question you have to ask yourself is why is it forbidden in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy? Right. Why is it mentioned as characteristic of apostate Israel in especially Isaiah if it is not real? And it's never mentioned like we have people who are just liars and cheats and and thieves mentioned elsewhere, but they're not mentioned in the same way as as witches and sorcerers are. Yeah. Uh, they're all condemned, but it's never it's never treated as 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 the same thing, right? Which it would be if it was merely a con job, right? It, it's also you have to understand the spiritual power of something that throughout the Old Testament also can get people to engage in child sacrifice. Right, it has to be right. something of such compelling spiritual hold over people's hearts that they are willing to found a city on the sacrifice of their firstborn. One of the th- the interesting things about this, about witchcraft and sorcery and sacrifice all throughout the world is it's all very similar. Yeah, right. And, you know, that's a big coincidence. If if you believe it's if you believe it's all just a this kind of con job, it's very telling that across cultures, 
the worship is very similar, the methods are extremely similar, and the end mm-hmm. results are very similar. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you have magic words, very similar ritual practices, ultimately leading into human sacrifice all across the world. And maybe we should, maybe we should have had this episode on Columbus Day. I don't know. Well, <laughs> I, th- I, I think I think another thing you see, and we, it's not really something we talked about in the last segment with First Samuel twenty eight, is that false religions will always involve female clergy. Oh, that'll preach. Yeah, witchcraft. Witchcraft is really another form of the ordination of women. It's a sign of some kind of fundamental inversion in how the world should be. Well, and and it's even up into our day somewhat female dominated in most cases. Oh yeah. oh yeah, outsized. I mean, if you look at there's a there's something that scholars call angel spirituality, which is flourishing in Scandinavia, not a place that you think of as particularly religious at this point in history. But right. like you were saying in the last segment, when when people are apparently quote rational, they still engage all of their irrational parts of themselves somehow exactly exactly even if they've forsaken christianity and angel spirituality is by the the female scholar whose book i read almost a 90 percent female practice in scandinavia and it involves divination dream interpretation all kinds of stuff that you find in the old testament just in a certain form for that kind of quote post-christian culture yeah, it's it's a it's a very interesting phenomenon, and it's only going to grow. I mean, you're going to see, uh, and we can't predict exactly what it's going to look like when the next big spiritual thing comes through America, but it's always going to have this this element to it, some kind of divination, someone claiming to have visions or dreaming dreams or the interpretation of dreams, and we're just lucky it hasn't led into full on child sacrifice yet. Well, <laughs> exactly. It, it is interesting, though, that every ancient culture, pretty much without exception, at one point in their history, practiced human sacrifice. Yeah. And, and that happened, obviously, well into even, you know, more recently, as you were mentioning with Columbus. I mean, even even like the Egyptians, who we don't normally think of as as having practiced this, did actually have at least one instance where. Uh, retainers were buried with one of their pharaohs. So, I mean, right, this right. kind of human sacrifice, that sort of magic is something that is across across cultures. Yeah. Right. So not only do these things lead one away from God and, and specifically trust in God, but it leads them to harm their neighbor for the sake of themselves or to appease the false gods. Right. Time and time again. And as Adam rightly pointed out in the first segment, all of these things tend toward idolatry. And so the fruit of idolatry is, well, what we've been talking about here, all manner of wickedness and vice. So what does God say to to do in the Old Testament regarding witches? <laughs> well, this may or may not be known to many, and maybe you don't want to dress up your you know, eight-year-old nice little Christian daughter as a witch, because witches are commanded to be killed in Israel, along with only certain other offenses. Uh, not everything merits capital punishment. Yeah, something's a light fine, you know, something right. you would punish even harder today. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, saying bad things about people on social media, that's it's not even covered by the Mosaic law. That's right. <laughs> uh, unlike in modern day Britain, for instance, but right. um, you know, uh, yeah. Do you have a do you have a license for that nasty comment? <laughs> Oi! Uh, <laughs> this is a side. Hi, bub. 
<laughs> but but witchcraft. I mean, I I I have met people. I've I have met people, all of them under the age of twenty five, who have told me <laughs> that they are witches. I don't know what your experience is, but I mean, I've met them, and I and I I'm not sure I actually disbelieve them altogether. Well, you know, Adam, I only worked in Hispanic ministry for the biggest <laughs> chunk of my career, so I you don't know anything about any of this. this. Yeah. None right. of this at all. Right. No, no, right. no. Right. Yeah, it was always striking to me. You know, the you would go into like a Latin American store, or you know, virtually any convenience store in Latin America, but you'll see it in the United States as well. And it's like, okay, here's baby diapers, here's soap, witchcraft aisle, dry goods, <laughs> right? You know, like yeah, it's routine thing, and the syncretism of Latin America and really of Africa too is disturbing where they've blended Christianity with witchcraft. And now at least in the Roman Catholic world, it is pretty much officially sanctioned. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I guess it is. I don't, I don't really understand what papal infallibility means finally, but (laughs) but I'd say that I'd say that erecting an earth mother statue in a Catholic church in Rome counts as syncretism well you've had you've had maya stuff basically approved for decades mixed yeah. with, with christianity it's right it's not good and you know you're, you're going to start to see this creep into europe well i guess with the uh with the fertility statues that is actually in europe right now yeah um so you're, you're going to see it. it for the sake of unity for the sake of ecumenism and 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 false belief that's what you're going to can continue to see so actually to mix witchcraft with christianity is probably just a sign of the times the end times of course uh, but yeah <laughs> you, you, you see this all the time and people become so used to it that they don't even see the error in it i i also think this is where thinking that it's all fake is so unhelpful because it does not explain why it continually recurs whenever apostasy enters the flock, right? Right. right. Why does it, why 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 does a cult of an Earth Mother recur over and over, over, and over. again? See, you're not going to see phrenology come back, right? Maybe. You know, but you, but you will Maybe. see the same kind of witchcraft come back. They said they said about the notion of a flat Earth in 2005, <laughs> right? Yeah. Implying the earth is round, but go on. (laughs) But but if it is actually demonic, then wherever apostasy occurs, this also will recur. So when you said, well, at least we're not at child sacrifice, I'm thinking thinking about puberty blockers, and I'm thinking about children being offered up to the cult of gender reassignment surgery, and I'm thinking... I'm thinking we're we're basically already there. I kind of t-balled that up for you guys. I you, thought you'd pick it up you earlier. Did. You <laughs> did. Well, you were going. You were going. So, you know, yeah. Can't be subtle on the old Lutheran podcast here. Anyway, but you're absolutely right. People are sacrificing their children on the altar of whatever's cool right now, and I'm fairly convinced the devil is the great architect. But come on, guys, this is all just a product of poor education. If we just had better schools or something, if we just pump more money into it, all this stuff would disappear. We'd have a science paradise. Right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Zellin settles it. That's all for a word fitly spoken, folks. (laughs) We're done entirely now. Goodbye. It is it is insane what we are seeing, but it's also very telling. If you don't believe in the bondage of the will, and if you don't believe that men are captive to the devil by nature, well, I don't know what you're seeing then and what's going on. Yeah. 
Um, it, it, the the evidence of the sinfulness of man and man's inherent bend toward idolatry and wickedness is evident every day more and more. And that alone is not going to wake people up. I, I think being, if I can go into the weeds here a little bit, I think being friendly towards these attitudes and, and treating these people as if they're somehow victims of society, of a corrupt society instead of agents of a corrupt society yeah. and, not, and not preaching against them and what they're doing is a great disservice. You know, or, I guess we're supposed to let the gospel predominate so that you get a bunch of confirmants in dresses who should be wearing G.I. Joe costumes and such. But for the, for the sake for the sake of what? So that the world will like us enough that they'll really get the gospel now and come in? The, the preacher really needs to be doing what the preacher did in the Old Testament and, and condemning this kind of vice and wickedness because it's the same source as the witchery and other demonic crafts of, of the Bible. So instead of the Benedict option, Willie, you're arguing for the Boniface option. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Chop yes. it down. Yes. Make a point. Yes. Build a church with the wood. That's exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. If you if you do not confront evil as such, you are underestimating its power, and you will be controlled by it. There aren't there aren't two there aren't two options. There is no neutral ground, right? You either choose Jehovah or you choose Baal. If the you watchman on the wall cannot limp, yeah, yeah. If the watchman on the wall, if the preacher today will not confront this, both from the pulpit in his life and in his teaching, he's not worth his wages. He should just pack it up and go home. And I'm not saying, and don't get me wrong here, I'm not saying you have to be a politician and be political and every every cause you have to jump on. But th- this is even beyond florists and bakers here in Round County, Kentucky court clerks. This is this is actual child abuse, child endangerment, and and often leading to to child death. Here, this is bizarre yeah. for the sake of a delusion. In in just a few years, we've gone from relatively mild forms of so-called persecution to full-on assault on what it means to be an actual human being. Right. Another thing that's very powerful in what we're talking about, and maybe people thought that this was going to be sort of a comfier, easier going episode. I think we thought so too until we started. I I think we did. (laughs) Is that for a long time, when Christians think about what is demonic or paranormal, they have thought about it as something either far in the past or far away, or alternatively, they have gone crazy and thought that if you dress up, if, if your kid is dressed up as a fireman and gets candy from your next door neighbor, that somehow partakes of the demonic. And thereby, right. we have missed the actual presence of what is demonic in our own time and place, I think partly because it doesn't announce itself as religious. It's less obvious than Baal. You know, it's less obvious than here's this statue with, you know, molten metal hands. Uh, Put your baby here so that you can have a good crop, you know, next year. Absolutely. Yeah. And because it's less obvious, because it announces itself as, say, progress or, say, science rather than as a competing religion, we have been blind to what it's doing. Certainly. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we we tend to filter it through a lens of just um, the satanic panic or something like that. 
Although that would be a fun episode to do just on that. Maybe well, we can get Geraldo. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're gonna. I mean, we're 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 gonna get we're gonna get banned from everything if we start <laughs> talking about what that actually was. But even the notion, right, of exactly. Our, yeah. Even the notion. Right. Okay, let's Bingo. let's not right. go into Mike Aquino today. But let, <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I, you know, go look that up. You can look it up for yourself. But he was a colonel. <laughs> what you can think about today is the notion of a quote, moral panic. We are actually taught this about American history. We're taught that what happened in Salem, Massachusetts was itself utterly irrational and the remnant of a dying world, which was then eclipsed by the Enlightenment. But if what you what what you can see actually going on in Salem, Massachusetts is someone, Tichaba, coming from a syncretistic religious practice wherein something resembling Christianity is mixed with something that is very much witchcraft and coming into a town and exploiting really a seedy under uh, the seedy underbelly of Puritanism is is witchcraft. And you can go back and you can look at you know, colonial New England, it, it, there was witchcraft going on. Yeah, certainly folk religion. Uh, going the, on. Yeah, exactly. By their own account. Okay. And what's happening in Salem, Massachusetts is not as Arthur Miller tried to convince you, Arthur Miller, a secular Jew tried to convince you that these Christians are just being irrational. They were trying to find out, taking seriously that the church must investigate its own problems. They wanted to find out whether or not what was ungodly clearly denounced in the Bible was being practiced among them. To call that a panic or to call that somehow wrong is to call Christianity wrong. Yeah, and it well it, it's like well another example of this is Cotton Mather who is sober in his exegesis in I mean in his sermons, you know, he's he's direct, I mean, but I'm using the word sober because he's very level-headed when he discusses right. things. Right. And yet he describes what we would consider rather fantastical accounts of divine act or not divine activity, but you know, paranormal activity, witchcraft, right. what happens here, demonic activity. And it just kind of it, it sort of makes you shake your head, but he takes this subject very seriously, but we've been conditioned to just deny everything that he says. Right. But it's not in in a it's not in his character to just exaggerate things and to just and and to hallucinate. I mean, I mean, the, the folks, the reason there were trials was because God is a God of order and they did not want someone just illegitimately killed under suspicion of witchcraft. They sought out through testimony and comparing people's testimony of what had right. occurred. Yeah, there, there were no lynchings at Salem. Yeah. Right. 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 Exactly. Well, don't you think that all of this attitude that we seem to have towards the demonic towards what's going on in our culture is really just an attitude of retreat of saying that it's it's going it's all going to the devil anyway so we might as well just kind of sit down wait on it and maybe something will get better over time are we not called to be you know soldiers marching onward toward the soldiers of the cross as it were we are at war and the more that we try to deny that war, the more that we try to say, oh, well, this is just an illusion. Oh, well, things are just going to get worse anyway. The more and more these things are just going to encroach upon our upon our territory. Exactly. And and when when we think that there is somehow a ground on which to stand between Jehovah and Baal, then we are simply found uh, not in alliance with the one who will finally judge heaven and earth. Well, one more point on this that I, I want to make is that as Christians, when we have said that everything that we imbibe that deals with this kind of thing, 
witchery, evil, the demonic, that it cannot harm us or affect us in any way because it's all just make-believe, then we open ourselves up to the danger there too. That you don't want to ascribe too much power to this kind of thing, but you also don't want to attend, to pretend that you are not influenced by it in some way, or at least not right. able to be influenced by it in some way. Right. So that we've kind of denied the spiritual world by virtue of what we take into our eyes, so to speak, right. or the practices that we have. Everything has just become permissible under the guise of Christian liberty, but mostly under the guise of unbelief. We don't believe that there's actually any danger in these things. They're relics of a bygone era, so I can enjoy what I want to. Yeah, when we're when we're saying that in in baptism you are transferred into the under the dominion of Christ, we are not saying there are no other dominions, there are no other powers, there are no other things to which you could be subject. We are saying that there is one who is mightier than all those things, and that is Christ. Amen. We're going to take another break. We'll be right back with more word fitly spoken. Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. The mission of Word Fitly Spoken is to put the Word of God at the center of all of life. To find out more, check us out at wordfitlyspoken.org. And welcome back, everyone. You are listening to A Word Fitly Spoken, Willie Grills, Zelwyn Heidi, and Adam Coons talking about the paranormal. We've talked about ghosts. We've talked about witches, all kinds of other subjects we could talk about. But at the root of all of them is one thing and really one subject. And what might that be? You're going to hear if you read anything about the Old Testament that the Bible's idea of Satan somehow developed later, especially after the exile. But it is apparent from the Old Testament that Satan is the source of evil in the cosmos, and that it is his intention not only to lie, but also, as we were discussing with the effects of idolatry in the last segment, his role is also to murder. And he is a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And the things that we've been talking about so far and will in this segment are the way that his works are displayed among men when they are deceived by him into the worst sorts of idolatry. Absolutely. So we're talking about at the heart of everything, there is a spiritual struggle and these malevolent entities that war against us are demons led by Satan himself, who is the great orchestrator of all of this evil that we see. All deception ultimately comes from him. So what does the Bible have to say about Satan and his demons? 
People are often surprised by how many demons there are in the Gospels. But one way to think about this is that when Christ comes, a great light now shines on men that had not shined with similar brilliance before, so that the practices that you see in the Old Testament that we've been describing, whether they have their their source in divination, various kinds of fortune-telling, child sacrifice, all of those practices— the outworking of them morally in people's lives is visible in the sexual immorality, all the different practices characteristic of the nations that Israel in, in her idolatry takes on. What happens in the Gospels, the thing that changes, is not that Satan is somehow any less active now. In fact, he is, if anything, more active, because now he is not, as he was in the Old Testament, simply accusing Job or accusing the high priest Joshua and Zechariah, he is now facing his chief enemy in Jesus, which is why you see Jesus battle Satan immediately after his baptism. Once the Son of God has revealed himself to the world publicly as the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world, the thing that Satan loves to hang on people's neck, now Satan understands how immediately confronted he is, and he seeks to tempt Jesus in order to deceive and to and to murder, finally, the only one who can rescue us from the grip of all the stuff we've been talking about. But don't you think it's telling how the modern man or the modern Christian even sees Satan as maybe like, I don't know, something that we don't we someone we don't really need to worry about someone we don't really need to take you know be on guard against that yeah. you know some would say that there is no devil of course which of course is itself a demonic deception mm-hmm. um but i mean how do how do we approach this kind of indifference that we have towards the, uh, satan and towards his works i think you always have indifference towards something where the reality of it is either denied or known but suppressed. So I don't feel something to be a live issue in my life if I can't see how it actually pertains to anything. So when people try to talk to me about the NFL, I'm just kind of like, yep, you know, (laughs) it leaves leaves me as cold as the topic of, you know, Satan leaves many people even who claim to be Christians. and, And I'm not claiming to be a football fan. So I think the reason people are cold in this regard is because they don't really have a very live sense of both the hideousness and also the prevalence of sin, not only in other people's lives, but also in their own. Once you know yourself as the Bible wants to show you who you are because of the first Adam, then you actually come to understand the depth of deception the ugliness, the just brute ugliness of sin and of death. When you are able to see those things as they are shown to you through the word of God, you come to understand both the gravity of Satan's power, but you also come to be, I think, much more thankful for and much more attached to the might of Christ's power. And, you know, Walther has a really, I think, vivid image in the introduction to one of the Law and Gospel lectures about coming to know the depth of one's own sin, which is attendant upon understanding the power of the demonic in the world and in one's own life. And he says, you know, you have to learn, you have to learn that 
you are not a painted sinner. This isn't just something you say. It's something that's very real. And therefore, Christ is not merely a painted Savior. Christ is also a Savior from very real things, such as demonic possession, as he shows himself to be in the Gospels. Well, and one of the interesting things about demonic possession is is it serves as a vivid picture of the aims of the demons and of Satan. So there is a preoccupation with death and self-harm, for example, the man of the garrisons, right? He's harming himself. He's living among the tombs, though. There's There's the possessed person throwing themselves in fire. And while those may seem like special circumstances, particularly severe cases of demonic possession, and perhaps they are in that sense, demonic possession itself shows what the aim of the devil is, and that is to seek and destroy. So he harms greatly, but ultimately leads toward destruction. And the point that you made earlier, Willie, about the the commonality of the devil's operation across culture and time is so poignant in the case of something like the man cutting himself, because it's precisely what the priests of Baal do in opposition to Elijah. They cut themselves in order to call down Baal. But it's also something that you see making, putting scars on one's own body is something that you see everyone from teenage girls in modern America to aboriginal tribesmen in Australia 150 years ago doing. Right. The ritual scarification. But see that those rules against that, Adam, were all Leviticus. And so we're free to (laughs) mutilate ourselves, you know, not for pagan gods, but for the sake of pagan culture. Which is different. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, if you if you step back for just a second, you know, you know, I mean, you can see that Satan loves to make things ugly. He loves to deform human bodies. He loves to make people hate the way that they were created, and he does that constantly. And in doing that, he also isolates people from one another. Uh, the man, the man of the Gerasenes, is taken away from his village, really by his own so to speak, volition. They've tried to bring him home. He wants to live among the dead. They tried to bind him and he yeah. breaks the bonds and right. goes to live among the tombs. It's it's very stark and it's disturbing, but very telling. And those details are not incidental. It wasn't like Stephen King sitting down and go, ooh, what would be spooky? Right. These are common symptoms and consistent symptoms of demonic oppression and demonic activity all across the board. So it's not something to just simply be trifled with. And it's not enough to say, well, Satan is defeated, so we can just sit back and wait until the second coming and and not be active at all. And I think people might mishear that statement. But nevertheless, there is a spiritual warfare which the Christian engages in, which is kind of worth talking about. And I think the first step in that is discernment. And that's why we're talking about the paranormal here. Not just because it's the season. It just happened to work out that way, but simply because the first step in actual warfare or actually identifying who your enemy is, is some discernment. It's also the case that one of the things that we talk about a lot on Word Fitly Spoken, knowledge of the Bible, is not and can never be taken as simply a trite phrase recited by clergymen. The reason to know the Bible, to know the law and the testimony, is so that your main so to speak, media intake is not social media or whatever it is that you're consuming. It's actually God's word. 
in which case your spirit will be oriented towards what is godly and therefore will become wiser and more discerning over time. Whereas I think a lot of the reason that people do not take seriously what the Bible takes very seriously is simply because they have been trained by what they mostly consume not to, or to think of it as cool or exotic or interesting. Well, I mean, just thinking about this warfare that we're that we're engaging in too. I mean, think of how the Bible describes Satan. You know, a lion seeking those whom he would devour, as one who knows that his time is short. I can't remember. Maybe you guys can remember the exact uh, preacher this comes from, but uh, the the preacher who describes Satan as being the most active bishop in his diocese. <laughs> yeah. Right. He, he he visits every congregation. He visits every person. Satan does. He is he is constant in visitation. And unlike, you know, preachers who tend to be, you know, taking all kinds of time off and, you know, always wondering about how much they have to do, Satan never takes a day off. That's the <laughs> that's the point. And I think it's something we should take to heart. And so we're going to get into some more subjects related to this, but before we move on from just demonology proper, what are some cautions regarding demons and what are some weapons we have to combat them? Cautions would include not making yourself open to such things, not engaging in practices that involve fortune telling, illegitimate seeking of knowledge of the past or the future. Positively, it would be understanding and and growing in knowledge of God's word. Think of Christianity more like what uh, Zelwyn was talking about earlier, where you're a soldier. You need to train every day. You need to practice every day. You can't get sluggish or fat. Paul compares Christianity to training to be an athlete who will who will be victorious. So the reason to know the Bible, you have you have this amazing technology printing that puts God's word before you all the time. The reason to utilize that is so that you are actually engaged in the warfare, which is happening whether or not you admit that it's even there. That's the scary part is that a war is going on for the souls of men. And many Christians, even pastors, do not even admit that it's occurring. Yeah, and for for any variety of reasons, they either don't believe it, they don't want to deal with it, or it sounds like too much work. But the Christian life is a struggle. We have to say that it is, because it's this consistent biblical witness there. We all we know that Christ ultimately has the victory, but we are very much the church militant. We are here fighting against the forces of darkness, including our own sinful flesh, but also including the demons and their leader. Uh, any other words on that, guys? Well, I mean, just also a reminder of the words of Ephesians, too, of putting on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and being able to stand firm. And so this description of the the things which we put on, like faith, you know, the word uh, being weapons, we don't want to mm-hmm. think of them as just kind of a, a passing thing or just a, a pointless thing, but rather the actual weapons of our warfare, which we mm-hmm. would do which which would be to our great harm to ignore or deny absolutely so guys in our last few minutes here on this episode we've covered a lot of ground here but let's take a look at some other paranormal related subjects and how they tie into what we've been talking about here so we said we were going to have a little fun with it i guess but as we typically (laughs) do we get a little heavy 
So I'm going to throw it out there. We'll, we'll just take them sort of subject by subject here. UFOs, what, what do we do with them? Why would Evan bring it up? I think UFOs are an example of something we mentioned earlier, which is evil apparitions that do not show themselves to be religious for our specific place and time. So I don't see UFOs, which generally terrorize, horrify, whatever. You don't necessarily have to admit that they're real or something, but you can see from their effects that they are very similar to other demonic apparitions, similar to the things both that are recorded in scripture, especially the New Testament, and also the the witness of the church throughout time. I mean, you can look at, you can take up Walther's pastoral theology, and he'll give you signs of the demonic, both from scripture and from the church's experience of these things over the centuries. And all that stuff is going on when people report, I saw an alien, and this is what the alien did to me or said to me. Right. Now, there are, of course, cases where People claim to see a UFO and it's just a plane they don't recognize or they don't know what a shooting star is or something like that. But we're talking about cases where people claim to have been contacted by these entities. It almost always leads to fear. Yep. It leads to bodily harm in a lot of cases, a lot of these testimonies. Again, could be some trickery here too. But then their descriptions of aliens are kind of interesting because they mirror descriptions of spiritual beings that people who are into sorcery have described in the days before modern UFOs, to use that right. language. Right, right. And, and now we're back into, okay, that's something of a coincidence. That's a little bit interesting. Yeah. And, and, it's, and it's interesting. I mean, there's, there's so many weird things that happen in the world, but UFOs basically never lead someone into church. No, you know, no. You know, no I, but they have I, led people into other religions. Right, exactly. You'll you'll get testimonies, for instance, of former Muslims who will say, I had a dream about Jesus and he told me he was the Messiah and he was the Savior and I should become a Christian. That's like a weird thing that I'm willing to say, okay, yeah, that's weird. And it led you into church. UFOs never lead anyone into church. Right. Yeah, E.T. does not take you to Jesus. No, no. <laughs> No, a, a, a xenomorph will probably not do that either. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, very telling and very interesting. And, and UFOs are one of the things that perennially become popular again and again as it goes on. And, and who knows, you know, what more we'll see with the recent, you know, UFO videos that have circulated in the media and right. some tacit ad- admissions from the Navy or whatever. Now we're getting into Art Bell territory, but, you know, <laughs> a guy can dream, right? <laughs> well, and, and maybe and maybe something to say, you know, let's say, for example, you're still on the fence about this. You still are not convinced that any of this could be real. Demons, any of that. We'll just say across the board, you're a skeptic. I think your point that you made, Adam, is actually quite telling, because even if all of these things were fake, why is it that they always still lead into some kind of spiritual deception? Right. You know, so even if there was nothing to them at all, they're always leading away from God. And that's right. where the danger comes in. And you have that right. in pretty much nearly all of the terrible monsters throughout history that people have believed in to one degree right. or another, except for right. the Krampus. <laughs> 
Well, the European tradition of having a man with horns terrify you, you know, <laughs> and at, being the, good, uh, right. at, the, at the winter solstice is, you know, of course, I'm sure totally fine, right? <laughs> uh, that has nothing to do with de- demonic activity no, or anything. No, he yeah. looks exactly like every stereotypical demon ever, but it's perfectly wholesome, I'm sure. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> I, I think, what do we have left? Uh, the kookaburras? Chupacabras. I can't even say no, it. No, right. a, a kookaburra is not demonic, Despite living in Australia, right? He just, sits, he just sits in the old gum tree, you know. Many Australian animals could be conceived of as demonic, but the right. kookaburra just, is not one of them. Right, just a basic yeah. Australian spider may well be <laughs> right. from the devil. I'm, I'm right. just trying to think of what we haven't covered in this episode. Uh, so we I'm haven't got to, to the chupacabra. Over. We haven't got to the Jersey Devil yet. Uh, the Mothman. <laughs> well, uh, New know. Jersey. So okay. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> We love you, all five listeners in New Jersey. So. Thank you. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> We'd love to have you back sometime. Yeah. So. <laughs> so, all right, guys, we're coming up to the end of the episode here. Any final thoughts as we end this discussion on the paranormal? I think that when you read the Gospels thoroughly, you will understand what we've been saying about the nature of the demonic, the reality of the demonic, and how it appears uh, not only in the Gospels in first century Palestine, but also throughout time as a way of lying, as a way of deceiving, and as a way finally of murdering uh, sometimes men's bodies, but always their souls, and how the salvation that Christ brings is a salvation not only from psychological distress, but also from the very real uh, demonic spiritual and physical threats that men throughout space and time have faced, and that Christ's salvation is mightier than all these things, so that in Christ we, we have truly nothing to fear. This has been a Word Fitly Spoken. If you like what you heard and want to know more, check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. I'm Willie Grills, here with Zell and Heidi and Adam Kuntz. God love you, and God bless. Finally. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything, to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God.